Our scripture reading this morning, I took from Colossians chapter 1. Like I've said, Colossians is kind of a partner book to Ephesians. And I even considered, given the, the way that this week has gone and our loss, I thought, do I make a switch? Do I pivot and go to a, go to a psalm that we might be comforted? Do I find something else to, to preach on? But as I read our passage from Ephesians and spent time in that passage, I was more and more convinced of the necessity for us to continue in what we have done and to continue to rely upon the Lord and His timing as we press through this gospel to the church in Ephesus. But our scripture reading is Colossians chapter 1. Verses 24 to 29. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you, to make the word of God fully known. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is, in, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all this energy that he powerfully works within me. We have seen... In so many in our congregation, and in Linda in particular, this push to be mature in Christ. And that last verse, for this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. May we be able to say that we have toiled for the gospel with the energy that God gives. We may praise the Lord for the incredible gift that He has given us, particularly His own revelation of Himself that we might know Him. Would you join with me in a word of prayer? Heavenly Father, we bow before you this morning knowing the heaviness in our hearts, the weight that is there, and also the, the tension there between that and the incredible joy having just celebrated the resurrection of your Son, Jesus Christ. And Lord, we pray that we would be driven to turn our eyes towards you for our help comes from you. Our hope comes from you. Our peace comes from you. Our comfort comes from you. And Lord, in all of our sorrows, our sufferings, our anxieties, our frustrations, 
everything that this world would inspire in us, everything that this fallen world that has been infected with sin and death, all that that would inspire in us, all of those can only find their remedy and their solution in you. So Lord, may your word prove the the medication that our hearts need. That you would remedy the sickness of sin in our own lives. And Lord, we know that we will see that only in part in this life. That we will have days where we feel like your word is in and through and written on every part of our lives and we are just excited and on fire for the things of you. And there will be other days where we just feel lost and hopeless and confused and despairing and angry and whatever else that sin might inspire in our hearts. But Lord, may we always return to you. May you, by your Holy Spirit, draw us back to you that we might be able to say that we have persevered in the faith. Lord, we ask that you would bring your comfort and your peace to bear upon the people of this church, upon the Peters family in particular. And Lord, there's so many of us that are facing medical issues or surgeries or diagnoses too that we are uncertain, we are confused, we are anxious. May we leave these things at your feet knowing that you have every part of all of this written in your sovereign plan. That you have numbered our very days. You have numbered the hairs on our heads. You know us inside and out and nothing happens outside of your will or contrary to it. May we find peace in your control even when we are keenly aware that we are not in control. God, I lift your people of Elk Point Baptist Church to you, knowing that you love your church far more than any one of us ever could. And I ask that in our time in your word, that you would work by your Holy Spirit, that your word might prove a balm to our soul, and that we might be conformed to the likeness of your Son, Jesus. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. As I was thinking about our passage from Ephesians chapter 3 today, and if you're wanting to, you can start flipping over there. So I was thinking about it, I was thinking what is going on in Paul's mind as he writes, because this first 13 verses of chapter 3 don't flow as well as much as the rest of the book has. It's an aside that kind of can catch us off guard. As I was pondering on where Paul was at as he was writing this, 
I thought of a kind of humorous modern experience as well as something a little less humorous. I thought of those scam emails that all of us who've ever had an email address have gotten. Some of them are the dear blessed I am a Nigerian prince of somewhere and I need you to send me $200 so I can get my $400 million fortune out of the country and if you do, I will give you my money. Lately, I've been getting a lot of the, this is UPS and your package is stuck. We need you to pay a duty fee, so pay it to us and we will release your package. There are as many of those type of emails, I think, as there are people on earth, and some of them are more believable, some less, but billions of dollars are lost every year to these kind of scams. We're all pretty well aware that no Nigerian prince is reaching out to us at this point, but when you get an email from the CRA about your tax refund or just enter your social insurance number here and we'll send it off to you, or an email from a family member saying, I lost my wallet, I need money for a bus ticket, please send me some money. These can be really convincing. But there's one tip that I've found that can help us weed out about 90% of those scams. You scroll to the very top of that email and click on the, the sender, and it might say whoever it's from. I get scam emails from my mom all the time. So Joan Bateman said, sent you this email. But then you click on where it says Joan Bateman, and it shows the actual email it came from. Um, the last email from my mom came from n-i-e-r-y-o-h-8-9 at gmail.com. Last one from UPS was g 8622 at gmail.com. Made it pretty obvious that these were not who this was from. And I bring this up not just as good information on how to avoid email scams, but the fact that we need to check our sources. Who sent this email? From where did the information originate? Where does the basis for your trust in whatever this email is that you're getting lie? A slightly less humorous example, and less so because there are millions who have fallen prey to it. My sister-in-law has been having some very in-depth conversation lately with a pair of Mormon missionaries that got a hold of her. And to her credit, in her conversations with them, she keeps coming back to the authority of Scripture versus the authority that they give the Book of Mormon. And they outright told her that this Book of Mormon is greater than Scripture. It is more authoritative than Scripture. And yet the Bible has literally thousands of publicly accessible manuscripts. Entire teams of incredibly educated scholars translating. And millennia of study to give them weight. While the Book of Mormon has a single man translating some Egyptian hieroglyphics 
from golden plates that no one's ever seen. No one else has had a chance to examine, and then these plates are returned to the angel, and they are no more. Where does our information about God come from? Is our hope in the words of men? We know that these books are written by men. Paul opens, Paul, an apostle of Christ. Paul is a man. How do we know what we know? How do we know that Paul has anything worth saying here? I bring all that up because to some extent, that's some of what Paul deals with in our passage this morning. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 1 to 13, I ask that you would read it with me. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though, I am the very least of all the saints. This grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. You'll see what I mean that that passage does not flow the same way as much of the rest of Ephesians has. And he launches into it with this declaration, For this reason I, Paul, a prisoner of Jesus Christ, on behalf of you Gentiles, which in and of itself seems like it's going, kind of tracking along with everything else that we've been reading, and then he expands in a totally different direction than we would assume. And that will make a little bit more sense if you were to peek down at verse 14, It pops up again, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. So Paul is about to make this prayer for the Ephesians, and he kind of kicks off with, okay, for this reason, one thing, and kind of does this as an aside. So it's kind of a rabbit trail, a connected rabbit trail for sure, but we can narrow down some things by not holding too tightly onto that for this reason that we get in verse 1. But one thing we do need to hold on to from verse 1 there, Paul indicates that he is a prisoner on behalf of you Gentiles. In this kind of excursion down this rabbit trail, Paul wants to 
accomplish one primary thing in the minds of his audience. He indicates that he is in prison on their behalf, and he would have it that they not lose heart over what he is suffering for them, which is for their glory. That comes from verse 13. And I think we need to be reminded as well to not lose heart. Paul has been imprisoned on behalf of the Gentiles and it is desire that they not lose heart. And as he was saying that and I was reading it, I couldn't help but remember the, the state of Christ's disciples, his followers after he had been crucified, lost and confused. Many of the crowds probably feeling like, well, maybe we backed the wrong guy if he was just crucified. Disillusioned and uncertain. And then we fast forward to Paul and these Gentiles, they, these Gentile believers, they see their guy, the apostle to the Gentiles, imprisoned on their behalf. Again, did we follow the wrong guy? And by what means does Paul seek to encourage them? Does he talk up his own worthiness, his own qualifications and credentials? Does he build up these Gentiles in their own confidence in themselves? No, he does neither of these things. Instead, Paul goes on to make known the incredible encouragement that is found in the revelation of God in the gospel. And this is kind of where we get to what I was talking about earlier. You've got to think that when God's messenger to an entire people group gets arrested, that there not only is a worry for Paul, a friend of theirs, someone that they would have known, they would have been concerned for his well-being, but there also would be this flicker of doubt. If this is the message that Paul was preaching, claiming it's a message of power and it could not be stopped by any earthly or heavenly thing, and now he is under arrest, likely in Rome, what of his message? Can this gospel that Paul preached to them be trusted, knowing that Paul was unable to even protect himself? And I think that all of us can identify that there are times where we take a look at the world around us and go, does this match up? How can I trust the gospel? How can I trust what God says when I look around and see the world just be, being such a mess? Can they trust what Paul has to say? Is Paul any better than that Nigerian prince coming with great promises of Ultimately, nothing. He's now imprisoned. Is he just a false teacher? Paul's encouragement to these people is that he is not the source of their hope. He is not the ground of their faith. God's grace, Paul says, was given to me for you. How the mystery was made known to me by revelation. Those words given and revelation repeat themselves 
in one way or another through, throughout this passage. God has revealed Himself in our world. We call that general revelation. We know that there is a God just by looking around. We know that He is, but we cannot know much more than that. But if God's revelation in the world was all he had given us, we wouldn't be surprised to find ourselves worshiping the sun, the moon, the animals, the rocks, the whatever, because we can see that there is a God, but he has not made himself known to us. But God has condescended to reveal himself to his people. He has not hidden himself away to be discovered at our own whims. We don't search out God and find him by ourselves We don't need to go and meditate on some mountaintop and come to some enlightenment that now I know who this God is. He has revealed himself by giving his revelation to these apostles and prophets. He wants to encourage these Gentiles that he is but a steward of the good news. That word steward, other translations use the word administration. Whatever word you use, the emphasis remains the same. This is not Paul's gospel. This is God's gospel, and Paul is but one man charged to administer it, to dispense it, and to handle it wisely for God's people. Paul identifies himself here and repeatedly elsewhere throughout the New Testament as being particularly charged with the distribution of the gospel to the Gentiles. And he may be imprisoned and no longer able to visit and preach the gospel to these saints in person, but the gospel he was preaching has not changed. We know that Paul had many words to say throughout his life. As a Pharisee, we know that he actively taught contrary to the gospel, but those are not the words that we have recorded for us in the word. Paul introduces himself in this letter. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus. Paul is speaking not of his own will, of Paul. This is what Paul thinks and what Paul says. These are the words of divine revelation from God for his people. He's speaking with the same authority with which he commended to the church in Thessalonica in 1 Thessalonians 2.13. We also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. Paul is essentially saying to his Ephesian brothers, I, Paul, speaking as an apostle, speaking the very word of God, I would have you not lose heart. For the words I speak are not simply my words, they are the revelation of God. And what he wants to drive home and has been driving home in these last few chapters is that this revelation that he has been given, a primary thing he wants these listeners to hear is that Christ has created in himself one new man in place of two, reconciling the Jews and the Gentiles. He came and preached peace to you who are far off and peace to those who are near, for through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. The mystery of Christ, 
This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise of Christ Jesus through the gospel. And Paul had an incredibly intense focus on this. And he wanted to encourage these believers that they might hold on to this truth. And today, I think we do lose sight of the fact and probably take it for granted that God has included us Gentiles in his family. But the bulk of what Paul is saying, he kind of goes, this is the mystery that's been revealed to me, and kind of puts that out there. But the rest of this whole 13 verses isn't going on and on about that. I think he feels that he's kind of nailed down the fact that the Gentiles are now apart and one with God's people. But he wants to drill down and make it clear to them the source of this revelation does not come from Paul. And the hope that they have does not come from Paul. This passage ultimately is about divine revelation, about how God has revealed himself to his people. Joel Beakey said, special revelation is associated with human redemption and salvation. It began in the Garden of Eden, even before the fall. Even sinless Adam and Eve needed more than general revelation to know God's blessing and to do his will. The serpent attacked the goodness and trustworthiness of God's word, thereby making special revelation the focal point of spiritual conflict between God and the devil. After the fall of man, special revelation took on even greater importance as God manifested his presence to sinners, alienated from him, and spoke words of both judgment and grace. Since then, God has progressively revealed his saving will, culminating in the coming of Jesus Christ into the world. At the coming of Christ, God revealed himself most truly and perfectly in Christ. And it wasn't by accident that in Christ's coming, the Gentiles now also found their place amongst God's family. And that is communicated to us through God's revelation of himself in his word. And we need to realize that the greatest battleground of faith is fought right here in the pages of Scripture and on the promises of Scripture and the authority of Scripture and the trustworthiness of Scripture. All too often, people and denominations and groups start to lose hold of Scripture, of God's actual revelation to mankind. And as they lose their grip on this, they lose grip on their faith. And as soon as we relinquish our hold on the firm foundation of God's Word, then we do end up tossed around by every wind of doctrine and false teaching. And we lose what essentially defines us as Christians. And there are so many things in this world that would cause us to lose our handle and our hold upon Scripture. Whether it is Paul being imprisoned, do I still trust the words that Paul has given us? Whether it is the circumstances of life that just make us go, can I trust what God has given us? Can I trust the promises that I've been given? Or even just the 
busyness of life and distractions of life that would make us go, I, I don't have time to spend in the Word. I don't have the heart to spend in the Word. I know it enough. We'll call it good. Paul says in our kind of last section from verses 7 to 12, of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of His power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. Again, no new arguments here. Expounding upon the adoption of the Gentiles and the gospel of oneness that is found in Christ. Instead, we have Paul again making incredibly clear, it's not about me, it is not my gospel. I'm reminded of that tirade that Paul had in 1 Corinthians 3. Some say, I follow Paul. Another, I follow Apollos. Are you being merely human? What then is Apollos? What then is Paul? Servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. Paul wants it to be clear that even if he is jailed, even if he is killed, no matter what these Ephesians believers are experiencing, no matter what they're seeing in the world around them, the gospel does not stop. Because the gospel is not found in this world. The gospel does not come from him. The gospel has been revealed by God through all time and for all time in his word. He has revealed himself first to the Jews and then to the Gentiles. And Paul, as the apostle to the Gentiles, as he's often called, wants these Gentiles to know that the gospel is a gift it has been given to him. And even that he sees himself as the very least of the saints. And this, that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be made known according to the eternal purpose that God has realized in Christ Jesus. Kind of brings us full circle. Paul's asking these believers in Ephesus. He's telling them, do not lose heart over what he is suffering for them because it's for their glory. Why should they not lose heart? Because God has made their hopes certain by giving a gospel that doesn't depend on finite mortal instruments, but it finds its grounds and basis in the eternal purpose realized in Jesus Christ. And therein lies our application for us this morning. We may not right now be 
worrying about me as Pastor Josh being imprisoned for the gospel. That might not be our struggle this morning. But there are many of us this morning who are suffering. Many of us who are struggling. Many of us who are angry or grieving. But regardless of our place and our situation today, regardless of what surrounds us, regardless of anything in this world, our hope is based on God's revelation to his people. Found in the person of Christ and communicated through his word. If we look to the things of this world for hope or peace or comfort, we are going to be disappointed because it's not there to be found. Our hope is not found in human teachers. We cannot read enough chicken soup for the soul type books or self-help books to get us through the things that our world is going to throw at us. I had the privilege of leading the youth ministry here for a lot of years and still kind of going on, but one thing that I regularly had to remind our teenagers is if you haven't already... At some point in your life, you're going to hit something that is going to take the absolute breath out of your lungs. You're going to hit stuff that there's no wind left in your sails. You have no way of pressing on and pushing through and just keep on keeping on and we can do this. You're going to hit something that you can't muscle through on your own. And if your hope and your everything is found in what the world has given you, then it's all going to come to a screeching halt right there and you're going nowhere. But if your hope is found in Christ, if your hope is found in the word that he has given us, the revelation of himself, then even in the midst of those things that just rock our world and throw us completely to the wind, we still have a firm hope. We still have a firm anchor. And these Ephesians, you've got to think that they've already completely uprooted their world by coming to follow Christ. They are likely no longer welcome in any of their social circles, their families, their whatever. And then the one guy that they were following his teaching, now he's gone. What am I supposed to do with this? And yet they still had good reason not to lose hope. Because no matter what else happened in the world, they had been adopted into the family of God. They had been welcomed into a new hope and a new family that is far beyond anything that this world can offer. And that was accomplished not by man. That was accomplished not by man that any of us could boast or say that we had done anything. Even Paul said, he is the least of these. This was accomplished by God. God has called them to a new family. God has called them to, new, to a new hope. And I know that we all are going to be incredibly encouraged here this morning being able to be with our brothers and sisters in the faith, the ones who have loved us and encouraged us and cared for us and laughed and grieved and been through all of these things with us and we worship together the same God. 
But then we go from here this morning. And we don't have this huge like-minded group surrounding us. We're going to go home into the situations and struggles and joys and pains that could easily overwhelm us. But if our hope is in God, if we have seen and understood what it means that he has revealed himself to us in his word, then even still we will have a firm anchor on which we can cling. So we must cling to the cross. We must cling to the good news that we have been given and we have celebrated last week. Because like I said, this world does not have any good news that can rival that good news. And this world ultimately has mostly bad news for us that would seek to drown us in darkness and despair. But we do have a good news that transcends all of that. And that doesn't mean we're going to walk through our trials and our struggles unscathed. It doesn't mean that we're going to walk through and float through life with rose-colored glasses on. But it means that even when we're the ship up on sea level getting battered around and tossed around, that our anchor has found a firm footing. And that as much as we'll be battered and tossed around and the difficulties and trials and struggles of this life will seek to throw us all over the place, that we do have a firm footing. Something to pull us back to where we belong. We are rightly to be called people of the book, people of God's Word, because it is in His Word He has revealed Himself to us. And I would encourage each one of us, as we go home into any of the various trials or distractions or griefs or sorrows that we are facing, that we go home and spend time in the Word. Please, don't let your Bible gather dust because you look at it and go, I can't get there right now. Because we might not want to. We might not have the energy to spend time in the Word. But that is the only firm hope and foundation we can find because our world doesn't have anything better to offer us. God has revealed himself to us. So cling to the promises of his words and we will find hope. Even if it takes a while for us to feel that hope. Pretty sure the music team has one more song for us, so invite them to come and lead us in a closing song. And I would ask that as they do so, that you would pray with me. Heavenly Father, we know. outside of you and that it doesn't matter if the world is just utter chaos around us it doesn't matter if our 
favorite teachers or preachers might be jailed or imprisoned. It doesn't matter if our families would turn against us. It doesn't matter any of those things. For you have revealed to us a better truth, a better hope than anything this world can offer. And Lord, as many of us are grieving and struggling with loss, I pray that you would give us the eyes to see and the ears to hear the hope and the comfort that can only come from you. That we would not cling to the kind of comfort that this world could offer us, but that we would cling to you and the hope of the resurrection that we celebrated at Easter and that we should celebrate every day. We thank you that your son has been raised and he will come again that one day we will get to meet with him and all who have found their hope in him and we might worship you together with one song. Every tribe, every tongue, every nation, every faithful one throughout all the ages will be before you worshiping you. Let us not forget that. Let us not lose sight of that hope for all the world does to try and distract us from it. Lord, may we as your people live as a people called as one body to love one another, to care for one another, to build one another up in the truths that we find in the Word. Lord, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.